Well, good morning. We are here today. We're going to wrap up the book of Ephesians this morning. So if you want to turn there, we'll be in chapter 6. Um, it's page 1039 in your pew Bible. So you can turn there along with us. So as we wrap that up, we've been talking about how we have new life and a new community in Christ all the way through the book. And so we may be tempted as we're listening to this book of Ephesians that if we just do all of the things that are in Ephesians, then everything will be perfect, right? That we'll live out this new life together in this new community of the church and that everything will go great. Everybody's going to get along. Everybody's going to grow. Everybody's going to support and encourage each other. It'll be a community that's full of grace and kindness, almost like a utopia, um, the problem for us is we aren't in the world alone. So even if that existed inside our building, when we left the building, that's not what we would experience. There is opposition around us, some of it more intentional than others. Our culture slowly drifts away from how we think we should act and live as believers. Um, but for the most part, I think most of the um, opposition that we experience is not actually intentional. It just kind of happens as the Bible would say, as each one lives as he see, sees fit, right? As everybody kind of does their own thing, it just results in opposition. But what we're going to see today that there is an enemy, there is a power or a person who is against us, and that is Satan and his workers or demons or minions or whatever you would like to call them. And because of that, we can expect challenges and opposition to what God is calling us in this new life. And so we've seen that God has a plan to create a new community, and they will do their utmost to destroy it. We have seen how God, through Jesus Christ, has broken down the walls of hostility and division between different races and cultures, and the devil and his emissaries will strive to rebuild them. We've seen how God has reconciled and redeemed a people to live together in harmony and purity, and the powers of Satan will scatter among them the seeds of discord and sin. And so Paul finishes up his letter by telling us how we can use this new life to stand against um, the enemy and walk worthy of God's calling. And so let's read from Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 10 through 24. And it says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Tychicus, our dearly beloved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I am sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. 
Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to see how we can stand up, how we can live in this new community, even when there is opposition around us. And so first, Paul is calling us to be strong in Christ. We see this in the first few verses, verses 10 through 12. Right? And the first thing he reminds us in these verses is that we can't do it on our own. We need to be strengthened in Christ, strengthened by his strength, not by our strength, not by our effort, but through his effort. We need to allow Jesus to strengthen us. Right? And this concept shouldn't be a surprise for us. Paul has been talking like this all throughout the book about the power of God and how the power of the gospel helps us to live this new life. Right? We were dead in our sins, but now we are alive in Christ. We were saved by grace. That was God's gift to us. We have peace through the blood of Christ. We are filled with all fullness by God and his love. We walk together in Christ. The way that we stand against the enemy is through his strength, not our strength. So Paul continues this theme when he talks about how we can stand against our enemy. He tells us to put on the full armor of God, right? Not put on your armor, put on God's armor, right? We shouldn't think that we can manage this on our own. We need to work with and alongside the Spirit to be strong enough to stand against these things. We need to be strengthened. We need to put on God's armor. We need to stand because we have an enemy, Right? And it lists kind of what that is. There's powers around us. I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of what that means because I don't think it actually helps us very much. Just know that it's out there. Um, and we may know that we have an enemy, but most of us probably think about this less than we should. Um, many people have said the best scheme of Satan is to convince people that he doesn't exist. Right? If he, you can convince you that he doesn't exist, then he's already won. But he does exist, and while Satan himself can't be everywhere at once, like Jesus can or the Spirit or God can, um, he does have demons that do his bidding. And so our, his opposition, our opposition isn't just limited to the physical world, to the things around us that we can see, but also to um, the, the spiritual world, including our sinful nature that is, is within us. So I don't think we need to obsess over these powers and principalities and over Satan and all of that, but we also don't need to dismiss them completely. So we kind of need to balance the two together that yes, it's out there. And yes, sometimes it affects us more than we realize, but we don't need to focus on it so much that we forget where we are at. So then Paul tells us in light of, hey, we have this enemy who is working against us. How do we do that? The way we keep moving forward is to stand in Christ. We see this in verses 13 through 17 where he tells us, right, for this reason, put on the full, take up the full armor of God so you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. And he says, stand, therefore, he wants us to stand in Christ to hold our ground. We have to put on the full armor of God just like we put on the new self in, uh, in, in a daily way. In, put on the new self daily in order to defend ourselves and to resist the temptations of, that surround us and take, help us to take our stand. So we stand in Christ and we hold our ground. We have a firm foundation that we stand on, and we are, but we are always 
in danger of being tossed around like we saw in chapter 4, right? If we don't all come together and walk this way together, we get tossed around by whatever comes next. And just for fun, we haven't said this in a while, but there, this isn't, remember when we started the book and like, hey, chapter 1 is two sentences and chapter 3 is two sentences? This is another one of Paul's long sentences. So verses 14 through 20 is all one sentence um, in the Greek. And the main verbs in this sentence is where we get stand in verse 14 and then take or take up in verse 17. And so everything in between that connects to those things of how we stand and how we take up our armor. And so they describe that. And there's a lot that's been written about the descriptions of taking on and putting on God's armor. Um, some of them are pretty far out there, and some of them are better and more helpful. Um, and I think the simplest way to approach how we think about putting on the armor of God and all of these pieces um, is not really to read too much into what each piece is for, but to remember that Paul at this point is in prison, which is why at the end he says, I'm a, pris- I'm a prisoner in chains. And he is either chained to or surrounded by Roman guards every single day. So I think it's likely that Paul is just looking at what's around him and say, hey, this is a great metaphor. I think I'll use this. So I don't think we should over-spiritualize what he is saying, but it is helpful. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through each of these one by one and kind of see what they mean for us. And he actually describes them in the order that you would put these on, in case you didn't know that fun fact. So this is, we're going to go in order of how you would get dressed if you are a Roman soldier. So here we go. First is the belt of truth. This was the first thing that they put on. Um, this would hold the scabbard, the thing that holds your sword, and support the breastplate after you put it on. But the belt was important on its own as well. Um, for the most part, and which you've seen in probably pictures and other things, that people mostly wore long robes in this time period. And so if it was time to fight or to run or do anything that required any sort of activity, you would pull up your robe and you would fasten your belt around it to hold it up. So when a soldier was getting ready to do something significant, he would use his belt to hold up his robe so that he could move faster. This is where we get the phrase, if you've heard, gird up your loins all throughout Scripture, this is what it's talking about. It's talking about pulling up your robe and fastening it so that you can do some activity. And so doing that prepares you for physical or strenuous activity, and it frees you up to move. So the question we have is, how does the truth, right, the belt of truth, prepare us and free us up to move? Right, so just like a soldier's belt gives ease and freedom. So truth gives us freedom. It helps us understand who we are. It helps us understand the truth about others and the truth about God. The truth helps us in the battle against evil and temptation and hypocrisy, and it frees us from those things. It protects us from drifting into error, into false teaching, into wrong theology. It keeps us grounded in Christ, right? Because when we've abandoned the truth, Satan has one. And so the belt just kind of gets us prepared for all the things that are going to come after this. Then he puts on the breastplate of righteousness. And so this would obviously go on. It would cover your chest. Um, and the importance here is protecting, you know, all of your vital organs are in this area. So that's an important part for you to protest, protect, especially your heart. So how does righteousness protect our hearts? Well, first, to understand righteousness, and Paul has talked about this along the way, we have to start outside of ourselves. 
right? Righteousness comes from God and is given to us through Jesus Christ. As we believe in him, he sanctifies us and he gives us righteousness, his righteousness. And we are protected from death, both physical and spiritual death, when we receive this. And as we live out this righteousness, it protects us from going off track or following the ways of the world. Someone I was reading made an important note. Um, There's no corresponding piece that goes on your back. Only your front is covered. And so there's nothing behind you to protect you. So if you turn and run, you are unprotected. Right? So the soldier had no choice but to stand firm facing their enemy. Right? And the same, I think, as Paul is trying to get us to see the same thing for us. When the enemy is coming against us, when we're struggling, when we're battling, we don't turn and run. We stand firm. Right? We stand firm in the truth, in righteousness, in what God has given us. The good news is we don't have to do this alone, which is what we see next through the shield of faith. Now, just to give you some more information, there's two types of shields. Um, There's a little one that's about this big that they would hold. Um, That's not what this one is referring to. Then there's another one that's essentially four feet tall and one and a half feet wide. This is the type of shield that they are talking about. It protects your entire body. They also covered their shield with leather, Um, Two, you ready for this? Extinguish any flaming arrows. Um, Because when it hit the leather, it wouldn't burn like it would on a wooden shield. So if you've seen that in movies or TV or whatever, um, that was a real thing. They really shot flaming arrows at each other and the leather was to protect them. And so how is faith our shield? Well, it's our faith that protects us but not our faith in ourselves, not our faith in our equipment or our intelligence or in our knowledge or in our abilities. It's our faith in God that protects us. And so we have faith in God like a shield. And so for that shield, you have to trust that that shield is going to protect you, right? When things are flying at you, when the enemy is running at you, you have to stand your ground and trust your shield. We have to trust that God is there and that he will protect us. Right? So we have faith not only for our salvation, but faith that God will protect and provide for us just as he promised to protect us from the flaming darts, right? the flaming darts of false guilt, of feeling guilty for things that we shouldn't feel guilty for, or things that we have been forgiven for, or that we have confessed and repented of and are behind us, the flaming dart of doubt or rebellion or lust or fear. It's as we trust and stand behind the shield of faith, he is our refuge that we can turn to in times of turmoil, doubt, or depression. But we don't have to do this alone, right? We all have the shield of faith. And for us, just like the soldier's shields that were designed to be interlocked together so that you could make a whole line of shield and you would be almost impenetrable by the enemy, We can do the same thing. We can lock our shields together and protect one another. We can battle against temptation together. We can follow Christ together. We can encourage one another together. We can build one another's faith together. Right? You know how you see someone who has a really strong faith? 
And you say, man, I wish I had faith like that. And it leads you to grow your faith, to trust in God more. So as we see examples of faith among us, it encourages us, it strengthens our shield, and it binds us together so that we can be protected. And then he talks about the the sandals of putting them on your feet, the sandals of, I'm calling them the sandals of gospel peace. Um, And so the Roman soldiers wore sandals. Um, I'm going to say these are basically the first high tops because they went really high up their legs. Um, And they had studs or nails on the bottom to help them to hold their ground to increase traction um, when they're running or when they're standing their ground. And so how does the gospel of peace help us to stand firm? Well, in a battle, not that I know from experience, I'm just assuming, um, the best thing you can do is to stay calm and to stand firm, especially in this spiritual battle, right? We don't go on the offense. We don't take off running like we talked about a minute ago. We don't just start swinging our sword around trying to do some damage. We just stand firm. When we are being attacked, we don't go on the offensive. We don't attack. We stand firmly by seeking peace. Remember, God is the one who has taken down the wall of hostility that is between us. We are agents of peace, even in a spiritual battle. Peace is what we need when the enemy is promoting conflict and division. We need to be reminded that we are one in Christ, so that we can be at peace with one another. And so we stand together. And yes, I know sometimes we get attacked and sometimes unfair things are said about us. I think Paul is reminding us the answer is not to go back and say other things about the other people, but to seek peace, to be full of grace, to be full of understanding, and just to stand our ground and hold to what we believe. So now he's told us how to stand, and now he finishes off the armor by calling us to take up or to receive two more pieces of armor, right? And that's the helmet of salvation. And so a helmet, as as it was described, is a little hot and a little uncomfortable. Um, Essentially, it was this big metal heavy thing, and they just like put a sponge in the top to make it a little more bearable at this time. They don't have quite have the technology that we have these days. But you would only put that on when you were facing impending danger. So they wouldn't be wearing this all of the time. And so this is the helmet of salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5 kind of references this as the same thing. And he calls it the helmet of the hope of salvation. And so when you're in the thick of it, when you're struggling, when you're failing, when you're giving in to temptation, when you're stuck in complacency, when you feel like you can't move forward, We need to put on the helmet of salvation, the hope of salvation, right? Because we go back to our salvation. We remember how we were rescued from our sin, how God moved us from death to life, how God sent Jesus to sacrifice himself for our good, how he endured the pain and humiliation of the cross to the end, to his death, And as we believe that to be true and we turn our lives over to him, how that gives us hope, right? Hope because we were once dead, but we are now alive. Hope that even if our trials end in our death, we will be given more life, eternal. Things get hard. We put on the hope of salvation, 
then he also gives us the sword of the Spirit. And it tells us the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Now, most of the references for this term word, it's not logos like we normally would see some other places. Um, it's a different word, but they talk about the spoken word. And for us, I think this would be the spoken word that we hear through preaching or the Holy Spirit actually speaking directly to us, which is why it's called the sword of the Spirit. I think we can also include the words of the gospel. We see this in 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, uses the same word. It says, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Right? And so it's the gospel that comes to us, the words of salvation that we use to protect ourselves. Now, this sword is the opposite of the shield. Remember, he referenced the big shield, not the little one. So in your mind, when he talks about this sword, don't think of a big sword. Think of a short one about this big right? Used almost exclusively for defense. They had spears with, for offense, but if you notice, Paul doesn't reference a spear, right? He only references this little sword, right? To the way, the way we protect ourselves, defend ourselves, and the way we do that is through the Word of God. Not our own thoughts, not our own ideas, not things that we made up, but the Word of God. And so we protect ourselves from the enemy by putting on the armor of God and by trusting in it of faith and hope and salvation and righteousness and trusting in those things and who God has made us to be with those. But Paul doesn't just stop there and say, hey, put on the armor of God and then you'll be good. Trusting God's armor, he's giving it to you, he's strengthening you, kind of, we just put it on and then he takes it from there. No, we have work to do as well, and that's what we see next. We are called to pray, to pray in Christ. And we see this in verse 18 through 20 where he talks about praying, right? And he gives, kind of splits this into two sections if you look at it. He gives us two phrases. One is to pray at all times, and one is to stay alert, so first, we're called to pray at all times. And it, depending on your translation, this may be easier to see or not, but Paul actually uses the word all four times in these verses, right? We are to pray at all times, right? We regularly pray. We constantly pray. As we go through our days, we're praying for things. We're asking God. We're interceding. We're praying for other people. And we're reminded to put ourselves in the presence and in communication with God. Then it's with all prayer and request, right? So we pray a lot. We pray for requests. We pray for people that ask us to pray for them. We pray for our families. We pray for our friends. We pray for our coworkers. We pray for our country. We pray for things around the world. All of those things. We pray with all perseverance, right? We persevere in prayer. We keep doing it. Even when you feel like, right? Like, what is the phrase we use when, when my prayers just bounce off the ceiling? They don't ever make it out of the room, right? Even when you feel like that, we keep praying. We keep persevering. We keep sticking with it because prayer does help us. It does communicate with God. He is listening. He does hear us. He does respond. And then it says you make intercession for all the saints, right? For those around us and how we pray for one another, we encourage one another. We pray that we would continue. For those that are struggling, we pray that they would be healed or they would overcome whatever they're dealing with. For those that are doing well, we pray that they would continue 
to do well and continue to grow their faith and put it in Christ. And so if I, we kind of summarize it, it would read like this. Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayers for all requests with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. I think the struggle for us is we treat it like this. Pray some of the time for some prayers, for some requests, with some perseverance, and intercession for some of the saints. Myself included. We change that all to some. and We miss out on the power and the privilege of prayer and how it could change us. And so just imagine what would happen if we changed that some to an all. That we all prayed all the time for all the saints to persevere for all the requests and what a difference it would make. Even just the few of us, if we just did that, the impact that it could make when we pray all the time and how God could use that to change us and to change those around us. And he also calls us to stay alert, right? To look at what's happening around you and use that to pray. So we would pray for others, pray for friends, pray for those under attack from physical and spiritual forces, pray for those who are struggling to have hope and persevere, pray for those who are doing well to keep the faith and persevere. I have friends, and sometimes I do this. When you hear an ambulance, you pray for whoever's in the ambulance. I had a friend who, when he got to a stoplight next to his house, he would start praying for his wife and for his kids. And so I think that's what it means to stay alert, is just pay attention to what's happening around you. Don't just live in your own little bubble and pray for your own requests, but to use what's around you to spur you on to pray, to seek God to intervene in whatever that is, whether you know those people or not. Right? We can still pray for them. And there's a, a great explanation of, of what prayer really is, and it comes from um, John Piper. He was a pastor in Minnesota, but this is, this is actually in a book about missions, and this is how he starts off the book, and this is what he, I'm just going to read it to you um, because I think he explains it really well, and it fits really well with the whole theme of putting on the armor of God and praying. He says, we cannot know what prayer is what prayer is for until we know that life is war. Life is war. That's not all it is, but it is certainly that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Right? It's, it's less calling somebody to bring you something else to eat and more I need orders from the general because we are under attack and we need to know what to do next, right? And that's how he tells us, calls us to think about prayer, right? That it's a wartime walkie-talkie communicating with the person who has all the resources, who has everything we need and calling him down to say, what do I do next? Or I need this, I need help, I'm struggling, I can't stand so that he can strengthen us 
so they can help us, so they can be with us, so that we can trust in him. And so Paul calls us as we finish the book of Ephesians and all the things that he's told us about to stand in Christ, to stand firm. Because he is our refuge and our strength. He is our foundation. He strengthens us. He protects us. He gives us armor. He gives us peace. As we trust in him, he makes us new so that we can live in a new community of faith, glorifying God in all things. And that's the message of Ephesians. Right? God makes us new. God strengthens us. God moves us forward. God binds us together as a community regardless of where we have come from, our life experiences, the color of our skin, where we were born, any of those things. He binds us together in Christ so that we can glorify God in all that we do. That's what we should remember about Ephesians. You guys pray with me this morning. God, we come before you and we we thank you for your word that you give to us so that we can be challenged, so that we can trust, so that we can understand, so that we can give ourselves over to you. God, we pray just like the end, end of Paul's letter. God, we thank you that you have sent your word to us. We pray that you have sent us people like Paul and Peter and Matthew and Mark and John of the scriptures to write things so that we could be encouraged, so that we could know who you are and that our hearts may be encouraged by what we have received from you. We thank you for the saints you have sent us throughout our lives to encourage us, not just people who were 2,000 years ago, the people that we have known and loved and seen have been encouraged and challenged and prayed for by them. We thank you that you've sent them to us so that we could be encouraged. God, may you have bring peace among us. Fill us with love from faith, from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And may all of those, all of us who follow Jesus in this new life, in this new community, be filled with grace unmeasurable. It's in your name we pray. Amen.